Our reading is from Luke chapter 23, verses 26 to 43, page 4 of your uh, song sheets, or Luke 23 in your Bibles. So starting at verse 26. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country. And they put a cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. They will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the other criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Then people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let himself save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, good morning everyone. Can everybody hear me okay? Yeah. A very big thank you to Johnny and Dan for leading so well this morning. Um, so, this is our last uh, Sunday here at Epsom Primary, and uh, we really do thank God for his blessing upon us this year. Now, if you were to ask um, people the question, what do they really want? I wonder what your answer would be. Now, if you had time to think about it, what do you really want? What do people really want? The one thing. Now, I have, I have had time to think about it. And for me, I think the answer has got to be freedom. If we look at the world today, that's really the one thing that people want, is they want to be free. Free to choose, free to follow the desires of their hearts, free to live the way they want to live. And some nations uh, call this the right of self-determination, the freedom of a country or a people to determine their own political status and how they will be governed 
without any undue influence from any other country. Now, the problem with this desire, however, is that sometimes we don't always make the right choice. I remember I made a choice about uh, 16 years ago to um, unscrew my washing machine on the day I moved out of my last house. That was definitely the wrong choice because I actually flooded my property. But hey, there was no consequences for me because I didn't own it anymore. But, um, so that was a wrong choice. We did manage to sort it all out in the end. So that was a wrong choice. And that's a rather funny story, I suppose. But the point is that every choice we make in life does have a consequence. It's all, that's a universal law, is it not? Every time we make a choice, it does have a consequence. Now we are coming near to the end of our journey in Luke's Gospel this morning. And in this passage, uh, which talks about the crucifixion of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, we discover the choices that people make. And we discover the consequence of those choices and also what it reveals about their hearts. Because every choice in one sense or another reveals something about your heart, your heart's desire. So, as you listen this morning, I want you to just think about these, this in the background, in the background of your mind and heart. What are the choices that are made? What are the consequences of those choices? And what does it reveal about the attitude of the heart? Now, the Lord Jesus, as we learned last week, had been brought before the Roman gover- governor Pilate where false accusations had been made against him. Nothing was proved, and Pilate himself wanted to free Jesus because he could see that Jesus was an innocent man. But, as we found out last week, he gave in to the demands of the religious leaders and the crowd, and a guilty man, Barabbas, was released, and Jesus, an innocent man, was condemned to be crucified on a wooden cross. So as we look at this story this morning, I want us to think about, first of all, the courageous and compassionate Saviour who chose the cross. The courageous and compassionate Saviour who chose the cross. This day was actually the very first Good Friday, was it not? I mean, this really was the most significant day up to that point in human history. Because if Jesus had not went to the cross, we might as well all go home because of what he achieved on the cross. So let's take this journey together. Now, the final insult to a condemned man in in Roman times was that he would have to carry the instrument of his own death. And Jesus here had to carry a wooden beam or a cross, which would have been extremely heavy to his own place of execution, Golgotha. This would be like someone literally having to carry their own coffin or to dig their own grave. Now Jesus had suffered at the hands of the Sanhedrin and the Roman soldiers prior to this moment. And during that time, prior to this moment, when he is walking that final journey to the cross, he had been spat upon. He had been punched. 
He had been slapped. He had been stripped. He had been mocked. He had been struck repeatedly on the head with a staff. He had been flogged with a whip that had various strands that was embedded with pieces of bone and lead that cut deep into the flesh. And he had a crown of thorns placed on his head. The prophet Isaiah says about the suffering Messiah, suffering Messiah, that there were many who were appalled at him, that his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and that his form, his form was marred beyond human likeness. I've never seen The Passion of the Christ, the uh, Mel Gibson movie, but I know some folk who have. And they say that very often, oh, one of the things that really came across from that film was the brutality portrayed of the beating that Jesus received prior to having, walk, having to walk this final path to Calvary. This was a brutal beating. Jesus himself must have been on the point of physical collapse. So much so that we read that the soldiers forced this man, Simon of Cyrene, to carry the cross for Jesus. The soldiers probably wondered whether Jesus would even make it to the cross, whether they would have the satisfaction of killing him. And as he walked, he was followed by a large crowd, including women who mourned and wailed for him. We see that in verses 27 of our reading. Now in the uh, Middle Eastern culture then, and even today, um, there was often displays of public grief. And I'm sure this was not the first time that Jerusalem as a city and the inhabitants had witnessed public executions of this nature. And these women, they would cry loud, they would lament, and they were crying for Jesus. We read this in verses uh, in our uh, reading this morning. They were crying and they were weeping for Jesus. You see, they perceived even at some level that this was the death of an innocent man. I mean, Jesus had only a few days earlier been welcomed into the city as a king riding a donkey. So they perceived at some level that this was an innocent man. So they were crying, they were wailing, they were mourning this injustice that they perceived. And Jesus turned to them and said this, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Now, why did Jesus say that, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, weep for yourselves and your children? Very often when we consider the Lord Jesus at this particular time in his life, it can invoke a sense of pity or sympathy that actually Jesus is saying, do not pity me. I do not need your pity, nor do I want it. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ was not a man to be pitied. He was not a man who happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. 
He wasn't an innocent victim of circumstances, no. He willingly went to the cross, even though people meant it for evil. You see, this was his destiny. This was why Jesus came into this world. And this was something that he told his disciples on numerous occasions. Earlier on in Luke chapter 18, it says that Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him and spit on him and they will flog him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. This was the Lord Jesus' destiny. He willingly went to the cross. Even before he was born, when Joseph uh, was told in a dream about the birth of his son, this is what it was said in Matthew chapter 1, talking about Mary. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So Jesus, though physically weak, almost on the point of collapse, had a heart full of courage. As he walked towards the cross, he was not weak, he was strong. He was not helpless, he was powerful. So Jesus had a courageous heart. It took great courage for Jesus to complete this journey. So don't feel pity for him because he was a strong and a courageous saviour. And Jesus also had a heart full of compassion for these women and for the people because he saw the coming judgment on the city of Jerusalem and the nation. Now when Jesus said this, uh, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves, and he refers to this coming judgment, he's actually looking into the future. Jesus was looking at a specific event in the future in AD 70, where Jerusalem was sacked by the Roman Empire. It was laid under siege for between six to seven months, led by the future Emperor Titus. And in that, uh, on that occasion, many, many people died in brutal ways, either by sword or by the famine. The city was taken into captivity and the temple of God was destroyed. So Jesus was looking ahead to the terrible judgment that was coming on this nation because of the way that they treated their saviour. And on that occasion, it, was, it would be so terrible, so bad, that people would be begging for instant death rather than to watch their children suffer. Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. So Jesus was concerned. He had a heart full of compassion for these people because there was a great judgment coming upon them. My friend, this morning, will you listen to what Jesus said to the women of Jerusalem and weep for your own personal sin? It's not for the crucified Saviour that we should weep, but for our own transgressions, for our own sins that caused him to go there in the first place. Jesus spoke about this coming judgment on Jerusalem, but this 
is a warning of the judgment to come. The judgment to come on all mankind. We cannot reject Jesus Christ and think that nothing will happen. There is a judgment coming. And Jesus, that's why Jesus came into this world to save us from that terrible, terrible judgment. This was what the meaning of this uh, proverb was about the, the green tree and the dry, the dry tree. What's it actually saying there? I really wrestled with this because the commentators have lots of different meanings for this. If you think of trees, if you were to burn wood, you would only, it's easier to burn dry wood than it is to, bar, to burn green wood. So green wood is full of life and is not ready for destruction. Dry wood is lifeless, there's no life in it. And in a sense, Jesus is like the green wood, he's like the green tree, he's full of life. He does not deserve to be destroyed. And yet, the people of Israel are like the dry wood. They are ready for destruction. They deserve judgment. And yet, Jesus has taken that judgment upon himself. So there's a terrible judgment coming. And that's why Jesus went to the cross. So Jesus was a compassionate and courageous saviour. But we also see on the cross that Jesus had a heart full of forgiveness. Probably the most famous words ever said in the Bible, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. We come to a point in this story, do we not, where Jesus is actually nailed to that cruel cross. And we witness his first words on the cross, they are not cries of mercy for himself. His nails are hammered into his hands and feet. But it is a cry of mercy for his persecutors, for those who inflict pain upon him and who are now casting lots for his clothes. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus is asking his Father that these people not be judged for this particular sin. They really didn't know in one sense what they were doing. The Roman soldiers were carrying out orders, but I'm sure they did not appreciate that they were actually crucifying and killing the Son of God, the Messiah. So Jesus is, is praying a prayer for mercy for those people for that terrible act that they have committed. But it's for that particular sin. He's asking them, he's asking his father, on that day of judgment, don't count them guilty for this particular sin. And Jesus didn't just have to suffer the terrible agony of the physical uh, pain of crucifixion, but he also had to endure the mocking of the people by the cross. In verses 35, it says that the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him white wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was written a notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. And Nigel touched on this last Sunday 
Jesus was a servant king. He came to do his Father's will to save many souls. He had the power to come down from the cross and save himself, but he didn't. Because the only thing that would satisfy the judgment of God on sin was the actual death of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus was the true Passover lamb. You go back to uh, time in Egypt when they celebrated the Passover, you remember that the angel of death came over the whole of that community. And the only thing that saved them was the fact that a lamb's blood was painted on the doorposts. And that only applied for the people of Israel. But on this occasion, Jesus' blood covers the sins of the whole of mankind if we put our trust in him. Spurgeon loved this prayer because he said it's indistinctive. It says, forgive them. This shows the heart of a crucified Christ towards you. He has a heart full of mercy and forgiveness. My friend, this morning, do you see how precious you are to him? Can you see what lengths he's prepared to go to save you? If the Lord Jesus can forgive the very people who murdered and tortured him, then he can forgive you. He can forgive me. No person is outside of his reach. So we see that Jesus is a courageous and compassionate saviour. We also see that Jesus is a saviour whose heart is full of mercy and forgiveness. And as we come to the end of the, the passage, we find this scene here where Jesus is on the cross. And he's not there alone. He has two people either side of him, two dying criminals, two people exactly in the same position as Jesus, two dying men in a hopeless situation. Both of, both of them would be dead in a few hours' time. Two dying men who made a decision and chose a destiny. And we see from their conversations with Jesus that each had a different attitude of heart towards him. So let's look at the first criminal who hurled insults at him, chapter 23 and verse 39. He said, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. Now this man addressed Jesus as the Christ, which he knew meant the Messiah, the chosen one of God. And yet, he had no fear of God in his eyes. He was, there was no fear of God in his eyes. There was no confession of guilt. There was no expression of repentance. There was no sorrow for the actions that got him there in the first place. No asking of forgiveness. What did he ask Jesus to do? What was he really asking? He was asking to be saved from his current predicament, to literally be brought down from the cross, to not have to face death. And when Jesus didn't do this, he probably continued to hurl insults and curses at him. 
You see, this man wanted to be, wanted to be saved from the consequences of his sin, but not from the sin itself. Think back to what I said at the start. Every choice has a consequence. You know, we live in a society today, do we not, where people want to live a life without consequences. If we can live as we please, do what we want, and get away with it, we will. People don't like the idea of judgment, of being accountable. But if we reduce God to that, if Jesus were to bring that man down from the cross to save him from his present consequences of his sin without there being any true repentance, then that would not be true salvation because nothing would have changed. That man's heart would be exactly the same. He would have just gone out and committed more sin. And if we were to do that, we reduce God to nothing more than our spiritual fairy godmother who cancels sin, who makes it go away just like that. No. This man had no fear of God in his eyes. There was no genuine repentance in his heart. This man wanted to sin, but he didn't want the consequences. He wasn't prepared to change. He had an unrepentant heart. And sadly, he died a condemned sinner without hope. This is a very somber message, is it not? But it is true, this actually happened. And we find the other thief on the cross, the other criminal on the cross. And his reaction to Jesus was entirely different. Now, we're hardly told anything about this man. Uh, in other accounts of this scene in the other Gospels, both men were initially abusive and insulting towards the Lord Jesus. And yet there was something in this man's heart that changed. His attitude changed. It could have been the fact that he heard Jesus pray for mercy for his persecutors. It could have been that he heard Jesus ask his, one of his disciples to look after his mother, who was also at the cross. We're not actually told. He could have heard the conversation that Jesus had with the, the wailing women as he walked towards the cross. But he saw something different in this man, and God began to do a work of grace in his heart. We know this is true from what he said. This man had a fear of God because he rebuked the other criminal for not having a fear. So that we know that this man had a fear of God. This man also recognised his own guilt in verses 41 and 42. He says this, We are punished justly for what we are getting. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. So he recognized his own guilt and he recognized that the punishment he was receiving was just. But he also recognized that Jesus himself was an innocent man. And he recognized something that the other disciples had not recognized at this point. He recognized that Jesus was the Messiah. 
It's interesting to note his question to Jesus, his request. He didn't say to Jesus, save me, bring me down from the cross. He asked Jesus one thing. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You see, this man recognized that Jesus was a king, a king not of an earthly kingdom, but of a heavenly kingdom. This man was not expecting to be saved from the cross. This man was expecting to die. But he was hoping that Jesus would remember him beyond the grave. So this man understood something that even the disciples had not realized at this point, that Jesus had to die and he would come back as a glorious king. His kingdom was not of this world, but his was a heavenly kingdom. And my friend, if we are ever going to come to know this Jesus, we have to have the same attitude of heart as this criminal on the cross. We have to recognize our own sin. We have to recognize that there is a punishment due to us. And we have to recognize that Jesus is our only hope. He is the only person that can save us. And what was Jesus' response to this man? This wonderful response in verse 43. I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Can you imagine how that man must have felt in his heart? No doubt he was also dying an incredibly painful and long death. But this is the wonder of the gospel, my friend. This is what the Bible calls grace. This man had nothing to bring, nothing to offer. He simply asked for Jesus to remember him. And in that single moment, his heart was changed. Every sin that he had ever committed was forgiven, was covered by the precious blood of Jesus. Every sin. Dan really uh, led well this morning with the children's talk and really illustrated perfectly the fact that we have such a wonderful Savior, a person who took our place, who took the bullet for us, who died in our place. So this man died a repentant sinner, saved and forgiving. The cross brings us to a, a point in our lives where every one of us has to make a choice. Really, the ultimate question for you to ask this morning is will you choose Christ or will you reject him? It really came down to this, doesn't, does it not, for these two thieves on the cross, these two criminals. And there's lessons that we can learn from that. You see, before I became a Christian, I heard some of these stories. I always used to think, well, this is pretty easy. All I will do is live my life the way I want, and then on my deathbed, I'll ask God to forgive me. I'll remember this story. 
But friends, we can't do that. You know, we can't fool God. Dan reminded us this, this morning that God knows every intention and every thought of our hearts. If we are to come to God for salvation, for mercy, there has to be genuine repentance in our hearts. And actually, who knows how they are going to die? I mean, have you considered that? That today could be the last time you'll ever actually hear the gospel. These are serious things. The world hates to think of judgment, doesn't it? It's such an unpopular theme. But there is a judgment coming on all mankind. Every one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And the only thing that will count is, did you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your saviour? What choice will you make? Will you choose Christ this morning? I want to close just by reading a prayer. Uh, before, we, uh, before we come to sing. Look, God, I've never spoken to you before, but now I just want to say hello. They told me you didn't exist, and like a fool, I believed them. Last night I looked up at the sky from a small hole when I saw the beauty of the stars and thought how big the universe is. I knew that they were telling me a lie. I wonder if you will shake hands with me when we meet. Somehow I feel you will understand my failures. Strange how I had to come to this horrible place to get to know you. What was I doing before this? There isn't much more to say, but I'm sure glad I got to know you today. I feel the zero hour will soon be here. This is going to be a horrible fight. Who knows, I might come to your house tonight. I'm crying, fancy me crying. I never thought this could happen to me. I have to go now. Strange, since I met you, I'm no longer afraid to die. This prayer was found on the body of a soldier killed in action during World War I. Here's a beautiful prayer of someone who put his trust in Jesus and I'm sure is now in glory with his Saviour. Let's pray. Father God, we, uh, we thank you for the wonderful story of the cross. Father, we thank you that Jesus, our Saviour, has taken the punishment that is due to each one of us here this morning. We thank you, Father, that he has purchased salvation for all mankind, for all those who will call on his name. I pray, Heavenly Father, that there would be not one person in this, in this room this morning 
who would choose not to believe in you. O Father God, please bring home to us this truth, that you are a holy God and we will one day stand before you. Help us to put our trust in nothing else, nothing but the blood of Jesus shed on a cross for us for the forgiveness of our sins. Amen.